Hello and welcome to episode 179 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined again today by Ryan Top and Paul Noonan. And uh, we're kind of trying to do this early on Sunday of Daylight Savings, which I think might end up being a mistake, Uh but we'll, we'll see how this goes. I've got my second cup of coffee here. How are you guys holding up? Not too bad. It's going to hit t- tomorrow is going to be worse than today. But no, no huge obligations. To, yeah. And kids make things just much more complicated on daylight savings time because uh, they barely even know how to tell time in the first place. So they just get up at <laughs> the same time. They always get up. And if they are woken up earlier, they hate it. So uh, tomorrow is going to suck. But eh, at least it's not here yet. Yeah. Kids and pets, right? <laughs> Worst, yep. worst part of these days, yeah. Try explaining daylight savings time to a dog who has to go outside. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Just vacant stares. Exactly, exactly. All right. Uh, we're going to try to power through this though the best that we can. Uh, this week we're planning to dig through some of the early spring, uh, I guess some early spring surprises, I should say. The team's pitching plans, minor league rules changes that will in- inevitably destroy the game as we know it. And another suspicious spring training dog showing up at camp before we get going a reminder that you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the pod and for five bucks a month you get the minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson you also get some reporting as eligible packers mini pods from paul through the packers off season all right turning our attention now to the first couple of weeks of spring training we're actually less than three weeks three weeks away from opening day which kind of blew my mind but (laughs) i guess it's a good thing that these games seem to be going by pretty quick and at least to this point the brewers have had pretty good injury luck actually there's no major injuries to really speak of oh now you've gone and done it james yeah oh man what are you doing can you hear that i'm 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 knocking on the the wood-like surface that this desk is made of uh we'll see how that turns out Uh, i already broke aaron ashby and brad's mad at me for that but uh outside of that uh you know even lorenzo Cain's expected to be back for opening day luis urias expected to be back in the next week devin williams could make his spring debut this week as well as he Mm. is kind of brought along slowly after that shoulder issue at the end of last year um but I guess one of the big surprises or big storylines so far has been Garrett Mitchell, uh, last year's first round pick, opening a lot of eyes, even though he hasn't really actually played professional baseball, I guess, since he was drafted. Yeah. He got, what, a hand, handful of at-bats in, in the fall. But other than that, I mean, he's kind of just been sitting around with no minor leagues. Uh, but still, he's he's kind of on a tear. He's 7 for 13 this spring, went 2 for 2 with a walk and a home run on Saturday. Uh, Drew Rasmussen was actually getting... Uh, interviewed by Sophia during the broadcast and he had to stop mid-sentence and <laughs> literally said holy cow this kid's electric when he stung another s- single I mean everything's been hard hit uh, at the risk of kind of uh, getting too excited about spring training I guess Ryan uh, what have you seen with Mitchell so far and what are you expecting from him this year given like the unique circumstances he's kind of starting his pro career under yeah, everything is very weird, and this is no exception. And we really are going to have to wait and see like where this all goes because, like you said, we don't have any real evidence. We don't have any real data at this point on him. What we're seeing from him in spring training is definitely positive. You, you can't not get a little excited, uh, especially with the power. The fact that he is really hitting the ball hard and – the home run yesterday, that was a really big deal because the big problem with him was is he shows really good power in batting practice but was not hitting for a ton of power in college at least until his junior year before everything got shut down. So we were still trying to figure out, people were still trying to see if he was modifying and changing because even though he was at UCLA, he kind of had a Stanford swing. So it was very much focused on put the ball on the ground and then leg it out because he's very fast. And in college, that can really work. In pro ball, that isn't going to work. Not the same way. So there needs to be more of a focus on stinging the ball and lifting it, not necessarily to always be driving it out of the park. We're not talking about adopting a, you know, a huge uppercut swing and hitting just for power, though he does have legitimate power that maybe that could work for him. (laughs) but just adopting some sort of a swing that's a little more level and is going to drive the ball 
more line drives as opposed to putting it on the ground. And he does seem to have made some adjustments that way. And in all honesty, he maybe was already making those adjustments last year. We just didn't get a, a full enough view of him in the limited time he was playing at UCLA before everything shut down. But we definitely have to wait because it's spring training and this just doesn't mean that much. And we yep. can't get too excited about it. <laughs> yes. Everybody remember that the offensive MVP last season was Dan Vogelbach. And um, <laughs> that should prevent you from overreacting to small sample sizes ever again. But it, it's certainly good to see this. First of all, I love college hitters. They're my, my favorite kind of prospect. Generally speaking, they tend to be more predictable than developing high school guys, just especially at the top of the draft, they tend to hit more off, often on offense. Um, and he's, he's he's not a super top of the draft guy, but you know he's a good offensive tools guy. And um, that power is very evident. That raw power is super evident. I mean, his exit velocities were some of the tops in all of spring training. It, it's just been a matter of getting him to get a swing that can elevate. And if he elevates the ball at all with that power, if it turns into playable raw, power instead of raw, you got yourself something good here. And that's what looks like, like put all those together. And he's a good hitter. That's the other thing. He's a good contact guy too. Um, I like his approach. I, I think they do have something here. Yes. It's, it's, it's spring. We have seen you know, almost nothing, none of this, but the approach looks good and the tools were there to develop into what you've seen. So um, if you want to case for it, not being a fluky start, I think that's what it is. And uh, I'm very excited about him now and he'll probably be my favorite player for three years or so. <laughs> right. And I think something important to remember, too, is especially, you know, with the summer off last year and the fact that, you know, he he's a diabetic. So like the playing day to day thing could be a challenge, you know, depending on how that condition goes. Um, obviously, a lot easier maybe to manage that in a professional setting than it is in college. But I think the big thing to see this year is how he handles like that day to day grind and playing every single day, as opposed to, you know, the college schedule where you're basically just playing on weekends. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think maybe we temper our expectations a little bit this year, just to kind of see how he adjusts to the full season uh, schedule, that kind of thing. And I mean, that's any player that you draft, right. Or coming out of high school or college, it's, you know, that mid season day-to-day -day grind where, you know, you've been playing for two months, you're exhausted and you still got half the season to go. Right. Right now things looking great because, you know, he's fresh, he's ready to go. And I think it's super encouraging that, you know, they're giving him starts and he's doing this off of, you know, some, at least pitchers that are a couple of levels ahead of him or where he's going to be this year. Yeah. So that's an encouraging sign, too. I mean, he's doing off of mostly guys who are going to pitch in the major leagues this year. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that that's really encouraging to see that kind of exit velocity. Even the outs that he's making are are pretty loud this they spring are. so far. Um, hasn't shown a lot of swing and miss or anything like that. So, I mean, overall, yeah, it's, what, 14 15 plate appearances, but yes. he's, he's still, you know, it's always better to show something good and be excited about it than, you know, kind of have your worst fears confirmed in spring training. I think like Paul, you were saying the other week. Um, so I guess the next question is, you know, at the risk of making too much out of this, does this <laughs> do anything Ryan to change your expectation on when he makes the majors? I know you, I, and uh, James Anderson, kind of the, few weeks ago we're kind of talking about timelines on some of these outfield guys does this change anything for you no I still think it would be a surprise if he was to come up this year I think that that would be very very fast and yeah you, you would have to have seen something remarkable from him for that to to make any sort of sense I think we probably see him sometime next year a lot of it's probably going to depend on what is going on with Jackie Bradley Jr. at that point if he elects to come back for another season that's going to change the outlook a little bit and yep. but there's there's so much still to come in terms of things we need to see from Mitchell and from Bradley Jr. and Lorenzo Cain needs to make you know we need to make sure that he's still okay and that he's ready to to play a full major league season again so it's pretty early still to think about this but the timeline is definitely looking like it could be quick like that possibility is starting to to come into focus where we we could be seeing him on a, a relatively quick scale just probably not this year that would be really fast 
Yeah. The one thing about having college guys, a little bit older prospects who have more established hitting track records is they sometimes do make more um, quicker ascents than other people. And they're more likely to surprise you um, if they do perform well, you know, down in the minors and in spring training, but probably not going to see him for a while still. I, I, in the outfield, there's no reason to, to rush at this point. They have lots of people and um, I, I would agree. Pro- probably not this season. Um, that would that would be surprising. Yeah, definitely. I think I'm with you guys on that. You know, I, especially having had last year off, I think this year is more kind of getting him used to full season ball, right? And then maybe yeah. sometime next year we see that, whether it's September next year or what have you. But I mean, it, it'll just kind of really depend on what he does this year in full season ball. And I guess maybe the level where he ends up at, whether that's single A or double A, wherever he finishes the year, I think that's probably a good indicator of where they're thinking the timeline is right so we'll we'll just see how that plays out um i guess the other big storyline of spring training so far has kind of been you know how teams handle pitchers and this isn't just the brewers but everybody overall right with teams getting to roll innings over and just being super mindful of pitch counts and everything like that in spring training david stearns is on the broadcast on saturday he touched on a lot of those topics um, including how the Brewers might handle that big innings jump that's kind of been the talk of spring for many teams. He mentioned a lot of possibilities, you know, proactively skipping starts to give guys extra rest early in the year, uh, using some, you know, minor league style tandem outings to help save bullpen arms and possibly even going to a six man rotation at times. I guess let's go with Paul. How would you maybe make sure guys stay healthy and don't run out of gas by August, September, October? Do any of those strategies kind of jump out to you as as your favorite so far um yeah i'm sure they'll use a mix of all of them they have so many guys that they do stretch out now the one thing about the brewers like bullpen is they have the ability to push it really hard when they need to if they want need to grind out you know 27 wins in september for the third year in a row or whatever but that flexibility (laughs) can cut the other way too and i think the one i actually like best is the tandem starts i love tandem starts i love teaming up long relievers who have opposite side um, we throw with different arms. I think that's super fun. And uh, that's the one I like the best. And I would actually just randomly throw that in there once in a while just for funsies and to throw teams off balance. <laughs> um, but it's it's a good... This team can do so many different things with its pitching staff because of how it's constructed. I don't think they'll have as big a problem with this as a lot of other teams who, who kind of stick to the one-inning reliever um, rule more rigidly than they do. So... Um, I'm sure that they'll have, you know, the, the occasional suitor start, the occasional, you know, maybe Freddie start if they run into a righty heavy lineup or something like that. And they can always team team guys up too. It, it works out really well for them. And they'll use a mix, but my favorite's tandeming, but they'll, they're just well built for this situation and they're geniuses at it. So this will be no problem for them. Yep. It's all about just having enough arms and they do seem to have that depth available to them. And if they need to go out and increase it, they will do that. We've seen that in the past. They've gone out and made moves even early in a season to to go and add guys. So I, I'm not worried at all about this. Basically, echo everything yep. Paul said, especially looking forward to those uh, those Brent Suter, Freddie Peralta tandem starts. Yep, that's that's we'll, we'll see my that favorite. a few times. Yeah, because <laughs> it's such yeah. a change for the hitters to be dealing with that that is you are seeing night and day differences between you know tall lanky lefty that barely breaks you know 85 to freddie who's sitting comfortably in the low 90s and it's coming at you at a completely different angle and it's yeah it it just very very different (laughs) and control to freddie control all kinds of fun stuff exactly exactly And, and, you know, it's not just Freddie, you know, they're, they're stretching out Drew Rasmussen. Like we kind of talked about last week, he got close to 40 pitches on Saturday. So I I think they're really jumping into that. And, and Drew himself seems to be excited about that. You know, I said last week, I'm kind of dreaming on him as a potential fifth starter, even though there's the long injury history there, you kind of have to worry about, but like worst case, if he's a guy that you go for, 40 pitches or so, and then you bring in Suter after that or or what have you, I think that's another interesting way to go. And like Paul was saying, they just have no shortage of these guys, right? Like they could throw multiple four or five inning guys at you. Uh, you know, yep. you get down to Josh Limblum and Adrian Hauser and all those guys too. You know, maybe Hauser's more effective if you could limit him and his Honestly, exposure to he, lefties. He, yes, he's probably <laughs> as good a candidate for that as anybody. 
um, tandeming him up with uh, with the opposite side makes a ton of sense. You're going to get super stacked lineups against Hauser every time he goes out there. Right. And then you also have Brett Anderson to mess around with. I forget Brett Anderson is on the team like every week until he until the season starts. <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's fine. Him and Eric every Lauer. five days. Yeah, yeah. Every five days. It's like, oh, they're still around. Um, but yeah. And, and another thing, too, is it's going to be interesting to see how they do this, especially with you know, no minor league season for the first month of the year. Right. So they're going to have a lot of guys too, that they're going to probably want to keep shuttling in and out just to make sure that they don't have that long of a layoff. Right. So, yeah, there was some interesting discussion. I don't know if you guys listened to the new Kevin Goldstein podcast with Eric Longenhagen. He talked about the fact that they are looking at doing some sort of a, a bridge thing for prospects. Uh, And I think it would be exactly for like the Garrett Mitchell type, a guy that you wouldn't necessarily want to have in the uh, in the alternate site because they're not really guys that you're looking at for this year. But you also don't want them just like shut down and doing nothing for six weeks while they're waiting for spring camp to open on the minor league side. So they're talking about creating something and they were talking about it being in Arizona. But Mm -hmm. there are still no actual details, just rumors that they're both hearing about it so that'll be interesting to watch too they they're gonna have to make up all kinds of things this year on the fly mm-hmm. just to figure out how to get guys reps and how to get guys developed and we're probably going to see i mean we are seeing a huge change in how player development works anyway because they've reorganized the whole system from right. where they were but this is something that they're going to they they have to figure out these ways to do this because so many guys lost so much development time last year. They're really behind in a lot of ways. And right. You got to figure ways to get those guys back on track. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another thing James Stearns talked about on Saturday uh, was sort of the, the slow off season, not just for the Brewers, but for baseball overall. And that leads us to one of our favorite topics finances so on sunday actually tom hodricourt had a another piece on the team's finances especially after the covid year and specifically diving into how the brewers were able to pull off the signings of colton long and jackie bradley jr uh, some really complicated and creative contracts that it's actually probably too tough to me for me to try to explain in this format everybody's just going to get lost and confused and and turn this thing off so just uh take me for my word that it's super complicated and a lot of like if this and that especially with the uh jackie bradley jr contract but basically the gist is a ton of deferred money uh, just to try to fit them both into the budget this year. And Ryan, what was it? It was like between the two of them, the Brewers are only paying six and a half million or something this year. Yeah, 6.5 is what is actually being paid to them this year. That is not what they are obligated to them for this year because of all the deferrals you're talking about. Yeah. So right. the, a lot of that gets pushed off, but yeah, they're they're only paying them in this calendar year <laughs> $6.5 million. Yes. Right. So I guess uh, that leads to the question, Paul, do you think this is smart or is it kind of too much kicking the can down the road, so to speak? Or so what are your thoughts on this? This is unquestionably smart. I feel like this is like a, an NFL question that is dressed up as an MLB question <laughs> um, in the in the NFL. When you have a hard salary cap, it is, in fact, damaging to do this. Um, in baseball, not the case. Um, they made less money this last year. They will make less money this year. They will make more money in the, the proceeding years, the, the 2022 and 2023. So pushing expenses down into the years where you're going to make more in profits and revenue, whatever, uh, makes all kinds of sense. It's not kicking the can down the road. It's smart financial planning, and this is totally fine. There's no risk or anything with structuring things this way. It's just good sense. Yeah. One thing, people who are listening to this, many of you are probably season ticket holders on some level like I am, and you're aware of what they did last year. And I don't know that we've even discussed this on the podcast. The Brewers. Yeah. So what they did last year with season ticket holders was they gave us the option to either get refunds. And the process for that was it looked like it was going to be pretty complicated. To be quite (laughs) honest, it looked like it was going to be kind of a pain in the butt. We talked to our group because we split our tickets amongst a a big group of people, and we talked to them and said, hey, look, the Brewers are offering us 10% 
if we just let them keep the money, they will then credit all of that money to next year for 2021 when hopefully we'll be able to be back in the park and looks like that's going to happen and plus 10%. And so that's what we elected to do since we split up the, the finances of it anyway. It was no big deal for us to be out that bit of money for the year. So we just did that. Now, the question from the Brewers is they're sitting on all of this money from last year from season ticket holders that did what we did. And I assume a lot of people I've talked to other people in this situation and they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. The question how they want to account for this is going to be so (laughs) messy and so rife with the possibility of shading the numbers that it's going to be best not to listen to any of the BS coming out of anybody's mouth about how much money is being made and lost and all this stuff <laughs> right now because we what we do know is that there is a substantial amount of money that the team ended up losing out on from last year from not right. having people coming through the turnstiles now they did kick some of that down the road to this year how they choose to account for that will be you know a PR question more than anything else right <laughs> like that's a, it's, right. it's a yeah. PR issue for them so right. we're just going to have to not take any of that too seriously because it is in their best interest to be shady about it and that's just <laughs> it, it is that's they're going to want to to be shady about that so I don't know what they can afford, what they can't afford all of that is subject to wild interpretation and we we really don't know because at its fundamental base, the books are closed to us. We can guess at some of the numbers. We do understand some of the parameters of it, but we really don't know the full scope because they don't keep their books open. And the glimpses that we did get in, we talked about this months ago now with like Atlanta last year, it looks like they lost something in the neighborhood of what was like $70 million last year. But that's all depending on how you account for things. So, right, right. who knows? Right. And, and speaking of uh, those BSPR numbers <laughs> in Tom's <laughs> article today, I think this is the first time I've seen a number. I could be wrong, but he is saying that the Brewers lost $80 million last year, which I guess maybe would be in line with the the Braves books, but... Also, at the same time, you know, like we've talked about, it really depends on how you want to account for this and what you want that number to be, right, Paul? Right. I mean, it's probably true in a way. Like, it's probably not an outright lie. It's just baseball is more complicated than the other sports. There's lots of related businesses and subsidiaries that make money and lose money. And the problem with even the Braves, like we have numbers for them. But there are lots of numbers even for them that we don't have access to because they're separate companies and shell companies and things like that. Like who handles the parking and who handles concessions and who handles jersey sales and all of those are different. So um, we, we'll never know for sure. And it really is about PR. But I think it's it's probably safe to assume at the base baseball level that it includes TV money and turnstile and gate revenue and you know nothing else that that's probably accurate. So that which is fine, but not the only money that there is. Right. And for them, the big thing is not about the year to year, year in, year out thing here. Uh, Right. Maybe it is for some of the minority owners, I guess. But for for the main ownership group, for the the people that have the most stake in this, this is all about accruing massive amounts of value, which they have since Mark bought the team for what was it like two hundred and twenty five million in 2005. And it's worth well over a billion dollars now. That's Mm -hmm. where he truly cashes in is when he potentially sells the team or when he can take loans against the value of the team to do other things that he wants to do. That's another way that people capitalize on having these immense assets like baseball clubs. It's not about year to year profit with a baseball team. It's, it really is just about asset value and that that's, that's it. You just have to make, you have to, if you break even, you're making huge profits. That's what it boils down to. Right. Even if you lose money, you're making. Even money. if you lose money, yep. <laughs> I love finances. Uh-huh. It's, so this and labor talk are my two favorite topics that we discuss. But I'm just happy that the Brewers have Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. And whatever shady accounting practices need to be done to make that happen, I am all for. So there we go. <laughs> all right. Uh, one last thing before we get to questions. 
we saw also over the weekend uh, another stupid spring training dog thing popped up. Yeah, and and I know Paul is very passionate about this, but uh, <laughs> okay, I I guess <laughs> I guess uh, okay. Backstory is another dog showed up at spring training. <laughs> what they call it, Cinco or Cinco. something like that. Yeah, I'm kind of suspicious because every time a dog shows up at spring training, it's like the team's trying to cover for something for PR purposes. So yeah, yeah. I I, I guess Paul, what's what's going to happen? What's our conspiracy theory here? Um, I think that they just needed to. Ch- I think uh, they need to change change it up. Get a new face in there. Um, Hank, whatever <laughs> Hank they're on is getting up in years at this point, and <laughs> it has lost some novelty. I mean, this is a chance to sell more dolls at the store and. I mean, hopefully they're not covering up another bat. That would be terrible. But, you know, you got to worry a little bit. I also wanted to just mention that in the reporting on Cinco, Adam McAlvey buried the lead a little bit when he was talking about other things they found in spring training because they found a chicken in one of the batting cages one year. And that's, <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, if you go to Adam's Twitter feed as of the recording of this and look at his tweet 19 hours ago, the staff here is always kind to the many cats and dogs who visit Last year, they even took in a chicken after finding him in one of the batting cages. Now, that is a serious loose. missed opportunity here, <laughs> because you, you can make you can make toys out of that. You can make, you can open a restaurant for that. You, they're, still, <laughs> they're still trying to name the restaurants in the state. Right. I guess they're not, but they. I mean, <laughs> just just a huge missed opportunity. We had a team chicken. We let it go. Uh, I don't know how. <laughs> I, I all, all Adam and all the rest of you reporters, you failed on that one by not mentioning it when it happened. So kidding, but uh, I, I I love the dog <laughs> thing. It's great marketing. Uh, I do think they should have had a different animal wander in, and then I read about the chicken, and they did have a different animal wander in. Yeah. So I I do wonder if they'll go full out Hank on this and make shirts and stuff, or if this will just be a one time nice story. Um, if I were them, I would totally go all in and make shirts and stuff, but uh, I, it might not play as well the second time either. It starts to look <laughs> a little bit more suspicious than normal. But I'm looking forward to Cinco dying and being replaced oh, as well. God. <laughs> well, this is taking a dark turn. And, and then we'll get Sace, right? And, <laughs> Correct. And the the yeah. jokes write yeah. themselves. Okay. Uh, I, I, I didn't hear about the chicken. And now I'm wondering how a chicken gets into a batting cage in suburban Phoenix. Well, I mean, haven't you guys ever been to like uh, Yorba City in in Tampa? There's chickens just wandering around and like basically downtown Tampa. Chickens walking around Maryvale does not strike me as odd, actually, at all. (laughs) It it seems totally appropriate. It wouldn't even like if I saw it in the street, it would not even strike me as weird. Uh man, I I just think of uh the scene from Major League that where maybe somebody asked for a full chicken or something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe that's how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Any chance to replay out the Hank saga? I am on board with. It was oh, one boy. of the shining moments of um of the Brewers Twitterverse. So I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it happening again. A little peek behind the curtain here for people. Uh, James actually wrote on the rundown here, stupid dog thing. That is what this is described as. It's just stupid dog thing. (laughs) I I, I didn't want to script this. And, you know, my my thoughts on this are pretty clear. So there you go. Whatever. I know he referenced the rundown. So we'll check that off the list. I know. I know Andy's all geared up to. To, to get going again if any dog conspiracies pop up so yeah he used the uh the joker and here we go meme yep yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I know we mentioned this on reporting is eligible a lot more than this podcast but just for people who don't know andy Schaff is secretly the greatest twitterer of all time and um has <laughs> has said numerous secret accounts that you have probably followed and laughed at at some point um so he, he was js comments he started the hank thing he is Brewer World, and there are other things as well. So he's, he is a genius in his own time. <laughs> Truly uh, on the Mount Rushmore of uh, Brewers and Wisconsin sports tweeters, yes. for sure. All right. Uh, Patreon questions. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the program. And our first Patreon question this week comes from, of course, Jay Google. <laughs> we have Steve. 
Stuck at Steve. We, I also chose him to go first because he's got two questions here and they kind of play well off of everything else we got going around. But okay, so Jay's first question here is after watching the early spring training games and Hira at first base, should they be looking for another guy that's able to play first base? I guess, Ryan, let's start with you. I don't think so because I think that as Jan actually already discussed this in a, in a direct message is uh, it's going to be Travis Shaw. Like Travis yeah. Shaw is going to yeah. move over there if they need like defensive stability at first base. So I'm not talking about on like a daily basis, day in, day out, but maybe late inning replacement situations. Yeah, yep. we're going to see Travis Shaw move over there. Tomorrow, by the way, is Travis Shaw decision day, is it not? Yeah, uh, that is correct. It's like the 14th or 15th. I forget which one, but yeah. So by the time you listen to this, you'll probably know if Travis Shaw's still on the team or not. But my gut reaction is, yeah, he, he's going to stick around. I mean, they've given him every opportunity here. And it actually sounds like they really value him as kind of like the veteran presence, not to use the cliche, but Ooh, you know, he's veteran he's presence. The, He's, he's better the at guy. Santa Claus. Yes, exactly. I mean, he's been the guy to kind of help everybody kind of mesh, you know, Colton Wong and uh, Daniel Robertson kind of both talking about how he's kind of been the elder statesman there to kind of help them get settled into the Brewers culture, even though he's been a- away for a year. So I think the Brewers really kind of value that. Right. So, yeah, I guess, Paul, are you on the same page? Shaw's I am on the, the same guy. page. I yeah. think when he showed up at first, I was thinking of him as just a third baseman who maybe can't hit very well anymore. But he he fills a lot of other roles on the team. So I think he'll definitely be around. And he is the defensive first baseman when they need that. So he'll, I think he'll I think he'll stick around. And I think that's what he'll be. And I, also, it it's hard to upgrade for, like, yes, they can go out and find a really good first baseman. But if they go and find some marginal first baseman, it's probably not an upgrade. It would just be money spent for nothing. So this mm-hmm. this is what you got. Yep. There you go. All right. Uh, Jay's second question here in his two-parter. He's asking, how do you think the Brewers handle the 26-man roster? 13 pitchers and 13 hitters, 14 pitchers and 12 hitters. A lot of, you know, options here, and especially you know, with the, the pitching plans that we talked about, right, Paul? So I guess, how do you see them breaking down the 26 players? I, I'm a little torn on this, actually. I, I feel like they just always lean pitcher, if at all possible. And with the, the versatility that they have, I think they can do that and not lose too much because they, a lot of the guys that they'll have on the bench do cover multiple positions and they can move around a lot. My only worry on that is, well, not worry. I, so I'll go with, I'll go 14 pitchers and 12 hitters. I, I do wonder, I've kind of been thinking Vogelbach will make the team kind of no matter what for a long time. And I do wonder if he ends up getting squeezed out when it's all said and done at this point. Yeah. So, but I think they'll lean pitcher. Well, and that would be what roster resources projecting at this point is Vogelbach yeah. not making the roster and them going with nine relievers, five starters, and only four guys on the bench to open the season. And those four bench guys were Pina, Urias, Daniel Robertson, and Avi Garcia. So depending on who actually starts on opening day, that that all comes down to, I don't know, who is the Twins' number one starter? Kentamida. So right-handed, I think. Yeah. So presumably that's who we'll be facing. And yeah. So probably a lefty heavy lineup that day. So yeah, it would make sense to see like Travis Shaw, Bradley Jr., Narvaez, all those guys in the the lineup on that day. So yeah, the thing is, the answer to this is it's going to change. There will be times when it is, you know, 14. Hell, it might even be 15. I don't know. Remember last year before the world collapsed on us, they were talking (laughs) about doing with the expansion to 26 man rosters. They were going to limit you to 13 pitchers. I do remember that. We're not going over that. And then that all went out the window when the pandemic hit. And I assume it's still out the window now because. They need to cover these innings. Yeah, we have to cover the innings and they don't want an, uh, an epidemic of pitcher injuries. That would be terrible. And they need to avoid doing anything that's going to cause that, yep. which forcing you know pitchers to throw more innings because you're limiting the artificially the number of pitchers you can have on the roster. That would just be stupid. So but don't put it past MLB, but hopefully somebody <laughs> is whispering in their ear like, no, 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 that would be really dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> So it it will change and it will be subject to change, but I think we're going to see more often than not more pitchers on the roster just because that's how the Brewers roll. They they use a lot of pitchers. 
one, yep. they have a lot of pitchers. For some teams, mm-hmm. you get down to those seventh, eighth, ninth guys, especially once injuries start accruing, uh, they're garbage. That isn't the case for the Brewers. <laughs> These guys, they actually have legitimate big league pitchers well past this point. So right. they don't have that issue the way a lot of clubs do. But Indeed. and and because of that and because of how they do things, what their general plan is, you're going to see them lean on that pitching depth. And so you will see more pitchers than hitters in general, I think. Right. And something to consider, too, is the schedule. I mean, the Brewers only have like four off days in April, so they're going to have to do some delicate balancing of, of these pitchers to begin with, which I think would mean, you know, whether starting the season with more pitchers on the roster or at least shuttling guys in and out a little bit more frequently. But, you know, with that in consideration too, I think maybe the 14 pitchers is where they at least start the year uh, while they try to kind of get things up and running here. Totally. Mm -hmm. All right. Next Patreon question comes from Darren Jones. He's actually got two as well. So his first question is, has anything you've seen during the first two weeks of spring training surprised you? He personally has been surprised that Daniel Robinson Robertson hasn't played an inning at third base yet. I guess, Ryan, what's been one that of your biggest present. surprises? <laughs> yeah, I my eyes just probably expressed my surprise to those yes, of you indeed. viewing on the video. I did not realize that, and that is truly surprising. Well, I think that makes sense too, right? Given the Travis Shaw situation, they they needed to see what they had before his opt-out date. Does that kind of play into that, you think? Sure. And also they're trying to work in Arcia over there to see how he handles it. Right. And right. they're, you know, Urias is getting time over there as well, though he hasn't, has he even played yet? He hasn't real. I mean, uh, sparingly. Sparingly. And it was okay. mostly out short yeah. from what I remember. I could be wrong though. But yeah, Robertson hasn't played at third. That's a surprising thing. Anything else? I think <laughs> everything else is pretty normal-ish. I mean, yeah, I can't really... That's the most surprising thing I can think of off the top of my head. Everything else seems kind of by the book. Eric Lauer struggling. That's about right. Um, <laughs> I guess Omar's hit the ball pretty well. Yeah, I'm not sure that's surprising. It's nice to see. Yeah, but, uh, not to be a Debbie Downer, but Omar also really hit the ball well last year in last the summer year. camp. Okay. Well... <laughs> <laughs> he was Fair like enough. the star of those... Uh, those broadcasts out of Miller Park. Yeah. I mean, you've also got Avi Garcia hitting likewise just as well, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of played into the the narrative of Andy Haynes going down to Florida to work with those two specifically to, yep. to figure that out. But, I mean, Avi's hitting the ball in the air. He's hitting it hard. That's at least nice to see. I don't know if that's total surprise, but it's nice to see. I think that's the problem with this question. There, are, We have players with such wide ranges of potential outcomes that nothing <laughs> is really a surprise coming from any of them. Like, <laughs> if Avi Garcia went and hit a home run every time, he'd be like, oh, he's finally unlocking his power. It's, an, it's nice, but it's also something that's been projected for him for years and years and years. And sure. Omar did hit well for a while. And if Keston Hira started banging him out, that would also be normal. But if he also struck out every 50% of his bats, that would also be normal. So... It's it's hard to come up with them for that reason. Sure. All right, I got one. Um, how about how Aaron Ashby and Ethan Small have looked? Limited sample size, but I mean, they're they've definitely opened some eyes as maybe some potential uh, presence in the in the bullpen as early as this year, right? So I guess Ryan, does that surprise you? I think you? we see Ethan Small this year. I yeah, yep. I yeah, think I do we too. do see him in the big leagues. Ashby too. Uh, less less. Uh, yeah, less confident about Ashby because the thing that Small has over him is command. And yeah. that's going to be the thing that will get you uh, a lot with the Brewers. The Brewers really like the command. They sort of demand it. Yep. So. Yeah, I just bring it up because, you know, Ashby's kind of been the talk of camp over the last week, too. Um, you know, struck out <laughs> the first six batters he faced or something like that before struggling with his command, like you mentioned, on Saturday a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody loves the the delayed leg kick and the varying leg kicks and all that stuff. But part of me also wonders, like, is that why his command is so screwy? Because it, it's definitely not repeatable, right? So I, I guess that's that's a question. But I, I really like the idea, you know, with the breaking stuff with Ashby and stuff, it, you see a little bit of maybe like hater potential there. But maybe I'm just going nuts. But I also know Brad loves Ashby for that reason, too. So, yeah, I, I, I guess those two 
I guess, getting so many significant outings, you know, like they're being put in there against legitimate big league guys as well. And and they've been doing well. So I guess mm-hmm. for me, that'd be, that'd be one of the surprising things too. And uh, really eye-opening and kind of just goes to show that, that pitching depth again, right? Even those two guys who we may not have been counting on this year showing up as, as possible options down the line. Mm-hmm. Darren's second question here. He says, name one Brewers pitcher and one hitter you think will outperform their projections this season. Pick your preferred projection system. I guess, Paul, who do you got? Who's going to outperform? I will take um, Keston to outperform his Pakota projection. Uh, I think I have a theory on him that being bad at defense at second base wears on you. I think that this isn't a thing that is actually pretty common in baseball that's not talked about enough. I think it hurt Bill Hall when he switched to center field. Um, and I think sucking every day at something you're supposed to be good at is not <laughs> great on your mental acuity. So I think playing an easier position for him will allow him to concentrate on what he's really there for, which is the rake, and that he'll actually hit pretty well for a first baseman. So I'll take him over projection there. The pitchers are all predicted to be so good. Uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to go and grab one that you think is going to be even better than that. I, I guess I'd go for Corbin, which may seem like a sell, but... Um, on Pakoda, he actually was ranked under Woodruff in terms of value he provides. And I think there's a good chance he ends up being the best pitcher in the rotation, not the second best. So I'll go with him outperforming his Pakoda projection by like a win um, and being at least Woodruff's equal, if not superior. You're really going to the top of the roster with these. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so going back on to a point you made just a minute ago, Paul, the thing about and I totally agree with you about the uh, defensive struggles impacting guys at the plate. And especially when guys are putting in extra time to fix those struggles, it takes away time and concentration on getting better at the plate. So I totally buy that. I don't know that we see it just yet from Hero, though, because he's adjusting to playing first base this year. So sure. under that theory, he's still you know, going to have his struggles and going to be working extra hard at becoming a competent first baseman especially at least early in the season, he's still going to be working at that. So I don't know that we see that impact on the offense. I think that the offense just more last year was so far below what we expect from him based on what we saw from him coming up. And I know that Pakota was always skeptical of him because of the swing and miss numbers. But Mm -hmm. there's also the, the idea that because of the contact that he does make, having been so good throughout his basically entire career that we know of going back even to college when he does make contact, it's such good contact that he can get away with a higher strikeout rate than some guys can because of the fact that when he does make contact, it's so good. So anyway, uh, I'm going to stick with Urias because I've just been going all in on him all spring. (laughs) So we'll stick with him to, to significantly outperform his projections and on the pitching side, I think, give me, so this is a bit of a weird one, but the only guy that we looked at who was in like the top 15 pitchers who was projected for an ERA uh, or a DRA uh, above average was Brett Anderson. And I think mm-hmm. that he will actually be better than average. So okay. give me Brett Anderson to outperform that Pakota projection. Not by a lot, but I think he's going to be pretty solid. I'm not going to call that a cop out, but Brett Anderson's like pretty consistently to outperform projections for, you know, a lot of the reasons why projection systems project him highly, right? Like he doesn't strike a ton of guys out. He relies on a lot of contact, but you know, I could see him. He he did that last year, but I could see him being even better this year, just considering the defense that they added this year. Right. So if you're going to pick mm-hmm. one guy who really benefits from Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley Jr. added to the defensive mix, he'd probably be one, right? So that's a good call, too. All right. Our last Patreon question. Oh, no, no, no. Steve. James, James, James. Oh, what? 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 Who, who what are, are yours? You, you didn't give your, your guys. I <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Anderson's a good call. I can't go Corbin because I'm just the Corbin super <laughs> fan, and that'd be too typical. Give me... I'd say Freddie Peralta. I think really encouraging what we've seen early on this spring. And, you know, regardless of the role, I think, you know, he he's about ready to take that leap to the next level. 
whether that's super dominant reliever or really quality middle of the rotation starter. Um, I don't have his projections in front of me, but I'll just take the over on that. I'm a big Freddie believer this year. And then, you know, maybe Avi Garcia, not to buy too much into the spring hype again, but you know, if he really is hitting the ball in the air a little bit more, uh, trim down, you know, all the things that we talked about in the past couple of weeks with him and in the encouraging signs there, I think uh, he could really take a step forward too and, and be a really valuable player. So there's my two. You happy? Yep. <laughs> okay. Now <laughs> to our last Patreon question. Sorry, I was just so excited about this question that I wanted to move right on. Uh, but Adam Post is our last patron submitting a a question this week he's asking which of the announced rule changes coming at the different levels of the minors this season is most likely to destroy baseball as we know it so i i just like the phrasing of this question here and just to run down some of the changes in case some of you may not have uh, seen that or just kind of forgot but uh for context here at triple a they're going to be experimenting with slightly larger bases with less slippery surfaces uh <laughs> That's my favorite part. Um, at double-A, all four infielders are going to have to have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt when the pitch is delivered. So obviously that's sort of the anti-shift rule or at least uh, an attempt at trying to uh, dictate how shifts work. Obviously, you're not going to have the guy playing in short right field or whatever anymore, right? Yeah. At high-A, pitchers are going to have to step off the rubber to attempt a pickoff throw. I know we were talking in uh, pre-show here that, you know, they did this, well, the Atlantic League and stolen bases just really took off after that. So they're going to be trying that at high A this year. At low A, they're going to limit two pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Also, again, trying to speed up that game and give base dealers more of a chance. Um, and then also some other low A changes in the low a west that new i guess division if you want to call it they're going to reduce the pitch clock to 15 seconds and at the low a southwest level we get robot umps uh so just for balls and strikes but you know baseball kind of dipping their toe in the water there with the robot umps and the automatic balls and strike calling uh so with all of that there ryan which one of these changes are going to destroy baseball as we know it. So I actually like the ones at A-ball, the ones that are meant to increase stolen bases. I think that that's yeah. a part of the game that's been missing. And yeah. I think that finding ways to tweak that to increase stolen bases makes sense. And I think that this, the limiting what pitchers can do to hold a runner is good for that. And I, I like it. And it will introduce more athleticism and more speed to the game and place more of a premium on players who bring that as opposed to more stationary, big, bulky meathead type guys. It's just, it's a better, it's a better <laughs> athlete coming in. Then this will increase that, uh, that aspect of the game. So I like that. Uh, I cannot stand the idea of the shift stuff. And I hope that that <laughs> dies a swift and ignominious death. And, I just absolutely hate it, and it is so wrongheaded. It is going to do the opposite of what they want it to, and hopefully they actually see that and go, oh, this is stupid. Let's not do this. Because the, like they're talking about having a phase two of this already where instead of just making guys stay on the infield, which is stupid in and of itself, like guys, infielders should be allowed to step back off the infield when when the situation calls for it, right? They yeah. should be able to do that. But they're they're talking about a phase two of this, making it so that uh, when the ball is put into play, that you have to have two infielders on each side of second base. And that would be also very stupid. So screw all of that. No banning the shift. <laughs> just stop. It's not the problem that you think it is. And solving it will not yeah. do what you think it will. So... Just to add on to that a little bit, if you're wondering about the, uh, so the shift to me does seem to eat up a lot of ground balls. It does. However, if you look at batting average and ball at balls in play numbers, it has had like literally no effect on the number of balls in play that are turned into outs. It, it just hasn't. Uh, and that's a weird disconnect, but it is undeniably the case because we, we track that number. <laughs> we have it. Um, and the, the case, by the way, for um, not for, for against the shifts, like, 
the, the idea is that you have all these guys who have turned into dead pull hitters trying to mash the ball over the fence. Um, and you, you have all these guys in place to, to make those guys get out. Um, if you ban the shift, um, you're going to incentivize, you're not going to incentivize people to, sh- to, 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 to go away from that. Like right now there's a whole side of the right. field that's open. And if, if you had guys with better bat control to, with the skill to actually take the ball that way or bump that way or whatever, they would do it because it's an easy hit right now. Um, and people, maybe we should incentivize, incentivize that more, but it's incentivized as much as it can be right now. Um, if you take away the shift, you're going to double down on guys just trying to mash the ball up to the pull side, right? Because that will be more open for them now. So you'll get you'll get more of the current baseball, not less of it. Right? That they're trying to change. That's the argument against banning the shift, other than just it breaking um, tradition and all that crap. So, yes, you are um, you are ensuring that more balls will sneak th- more poorly hit balls from a huge power swing attempts, big uppercut swing attempts to the pull side are going to sneak through, which is just going to allow hitters to prioritize that even more. Yep. Because they're not being penalized as much as they were, because right now they are being penalized for taking that approach with low batting averages, which they've decided is okay. But yeah, by getting rid of the penalty against it, you're just going to incentivize that behavior even more. And it's also kind of misunderstanding the problem, right? Like the problem isn't these guys are pulling too much or the defense (laughs) is just standing in the right spot, right? I mean, the problem ultimately is the pitchers are too good. That's correct. And and, and that's why it's so hard to just take the ball the other way. I I can't really stand that. We'll just take it the other way. It's not that hard. I mean, when the guys throw a 98 with command, it's really hard to hit the ball the other way. It absolutely is. The problem here is that strikeouts have gone up. Literally every year that baseball has existed, that, that's not true. Um, over certain time spans, over but every, every, strikeouts have gone consistently up forever, and they show no signs of stopping. And if they want to actually fix the problem, they need to reduce strikeouts in some way. That might be lowering the mound. It might be changing the distance that pitchers are throwing. There may be some other things right. that you do, but that's your problem here. Um, and I, I agree with Ryan, by the way. I like all the. Let's incentivize stealing. That has some knock-on effects as well. Aside from stealing bases being awesome, um, it also <laughs> it, when it also forces guys to defend differently when people are on base because they have to right. be in a position to try and tag out base stealers. And that opens up infields, which also makes for a more fun game. So um, that accomplishes a lot of what you want to accomplish by changing the shift without having to actually change the shift. Right, and another knock-on effect, I already alluded to it a little bit, but it changes the type of player that you're going to have playing the game. Mm -hmm. It's going to incentivize guys who are more athletic and able to run faster. Those guys are going to see a jump in their efficacy as ballplayers, so it's going to change the makeup of the game that way too, which really, to my mind, can only be good. Right, exactly. And I think another underrated thing too, I guess my favorite of this list is actually the slightly larger bases. I like that. Um, it's creative. Yeah. Whoever thought yeah. of that, I applaud you. Yeah. So it's got a couple different phases to this, right? Like a uh, eliminates or reduces injuries on collisions and that kind of thing uh, kind of makes it easier to, to make sure players stay spaced apart, but also even just like slightly changing the, you know, uh, size of the base, even by an inch or two really cuts down, um, on on those bang bang plays, I shouldn't say cuts down. It, it actually kind of maybe increases those and, and makes it easier to beat out, you know, those throws for stolen bases or beat out an infield hit. Right. So you actually get more bang bang plays, which I think is kind of the idea here, right? That you increase the excitement of the game by making those, you know, fractional plays uh, more in favor of the offense than the defense. So. You're also that slightly is... decreasing the distance between the bases, which they are right, makes it a little bit. I mean, we're talking just you know, slight, slight changes. But anybody who's watched baseball knows that there are a lot of very close plays that happen, and right, so slight changes can have impacts here, right? Especially at the big league level, where so many plays are. I mean, everybody's just so good. So many plays are decided by a fingertip or whatever. So even just increasing the size of the base by a fingertip really could have some big effects there. So that's the one I think I'm going to be most interested in seeing. Um, 
but I'm with you guys. The the shift banning is the one that would destroy baseball as we know it, mm-hmm. and would go down in history as uh, one of the biggest, I think, fails of unintended consequences ever, yep. if they really do that. Um, but hey, at least they're testing this, and hopefully they get the evidence, and hopefully Theo, who's in charge of all this stuff now, can kind of argue, like, see, this isn't doing what you think it's going to do. But yeah, lots of different changes, and it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yep. Last thing before we wrap up for the week, we also have a couple of Twitter questions. We put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Give that a follow. Uh, if you have a question and you're not a patron, just reply to that tweet and we'll try to get to it if we have time. Uh, you can also tweet the questions to us individually and give us a follow. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. So we got a couple of Twitter questions this week and they're kind of fun. So I'd like to kind of wrap things up on these uh first one comes from derek core uh, this is always one of my favorite questions but he's asking what's the most random brewers jersey you've seen a fan wear at miller park for him it was in 2019 seeing someone sporting an authentic jeffrey hammond's jersey which is a nice pull that's that's great uh derek says he's also admitting to wearing his 93 home pat listash jersey in recent years uh, it's actually kind of a cool throwback, I think. I don't yep. think that's random. That's just a cool throwback. Uh, Ryan, I guess, what's the most random jersey you've seen? You're a season ticket holder. I'm sure you've seen a few. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I think the one that stands out in my mind is the Mark DeFelice one that I saw just a few years <laughs> wow, ago. Wow, that's a good pull. That's a great. Yeah. He had a great cutter. He'd be great these days. We, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was such a big fan of his. Uh, and yeah, it's... Mark Felice is kind of that guy where we were like, why won't they call him up? Why won't they call him up? And then he came up and he was usually pretty decent unless it was July 4th and you had a stupid umpire and it was a Cubs game. <laughs> there you go. Not okay. over that. Um, Paul, what, what's your favorite random jersey so you've seen? In the early 90s at some point when I was st- going to a lot of games, I saw somebody wearing a Gus Polidor jersey, which – I assume had to be one of Gus Polidor's relatives or, per- <laughs> or perhaps Gus Polidor. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know why you would have that other than that. But that's that's definitely the most random one I've ever seen. Uh, I always have had a, a fond space in my heart for Gus Polidor because in my brain, he was always a poor clone of Paul Molitor. Like, you know, in movies when you clone a clone and a clone and then you get like the worst <laughs> version of something and you change the name slightly that seems what like what kind of what he was um, also once at a cubs game when i was meeting friends at the cubby bear before a cubs brewers game i saw a guy with a homemade um combination paul molitor brett Favre jersey where oh, he no. where he managed to line up the fours <laughs> together on the back um it was it was it was a Frankenstein monstrosity because football jerseys and baseball jerseys have very different shapes. They're not yes. even close to being the same shape, and it didn't really work. But I applaud the ingenuity. <laughs> oh God, uh, that's a good one. I think for me, uh, it's always like the random middle relievers, which is like, why would you have a middle reliever jersey unless, like Paul said, you're you're related to that person? So I think I've seen the one that I'm thinking of right now. I think was Mitch Stetter which is a really weird, you know, like your, your mid odds, uh, loogie yeah, reliever. It's a, a good one. Maybe it'd be like a, having a Brian Schaus Jersey too, <laughs> which, okay, cool. But I can't imagine being that big of a fan of, uh, Mitch Stetter to drop like 120 bucks on a Jersey. That's a great, uh, big investment in a guy who had like a year and a half run with the brewers, but mm-hmm. yeah. That, that that's probably mine. Yep. But I I mean, there's different ones. I I really like that Jeffrey Hammonds jersey, but uh, that's maybe more tragic than anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, indeed. I could I could see being really excited. Awesome! They get this awesome free agent. Let's get this jersey. And by the uh, way, in yeah, in 1989, Gus Polidor had 186 plate appearances for the Brewers, <laughs> and he he OPSed 464, um, <laughs> which, which is kind of incredible. What what's the uh, OPS plus on that? What how uh, he, his OPS plus was thirty two. <laughs> that's that's legitimately like pitcher level. That's bad. It, yes, it is. That's very bad. Oh boy, I, I love that, and uh, I, I love that this is the Devin Aroshamadu. Is, is that the name? <laughs> the Devin Aroshamadu portion of the podcast. Yes. Yes. Yes, to, to pull from the football podcast. Yes. All right. Uh, one last Twitter question. This one comes from Kip Faircloth. 
Always a good question this time of year. He's asking best baseball movie. He likes to start the sports seasons with a matching sports movie, and he needs one to watch before the season starts. Also, do you have any other start of the season traditions? <laughs> so, Paul, I guess, uh, what's your what's your recommendation for a so baseball you, movie? You guys should know I'm a grump about baseball movies and think they're almost all bad. But um, the two... <laughs> The two, my two favorites are Major League, which is excellent and still holds up very well. We did a commentary on it um, last offseason at the start of COVID, which you can probably still find. Uh, yeah. and, and I do like The Sandlot a lot, which I feel like captures the, the, the kid love of baseball perfectly. Those are great. Um, I hate pretty much everything other than that. And the Natural sucks. Uh, Field of the Dreams is terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like uh, not, pretty much anything else. So those are my two that I like. Okay, so you're saying you don't like Bull Durham then? I don't like Bull Durham. Really? But it's not really a baseball movie either, so that's fine. I mean, okay, it is a baseball movie, but it, it's <laughs> about more than that. But yes, I love Bull Durham is my favorite baseball movie. So that's that is mine just because there's so much good about it. There's just a lot to like. So and it it has like the entire thing about uh, calling major leagues the show that came from that movie. It has hmm. added to the lexicon in a way that probably no baseball movie has other than major league major league has definitely added to the lexicon in yeah in that way too and major yeah. league has held up except for some problematic stuff that we did talk Couple about things. in that run out yeah i mean most of it's related to the fact that the cleveland indians exist as a franchise in the first place right so, right yeah. Um. yeah and and the joe boo thing is you know oh yeah that's not, not great yeah, yeah especially the the combination of that and the being in an indian's yeah. jersey like that that gets yeah. really bad but it does but yes there's that one does it is funny Bull Durham is more of a more thoughtful sort of thing, but it's also funny. I find it tremendously. It's, it's a funny. romantic comedy at its heart. So yes, it is. <laughs> there you go. For me, it's obviously Major League. I quite literally grew up on that movie, which you know, given some of the content, maybe uh, not a great thing for a ten-year-old to be watching. But I watched it so many times, I could actually uh, time the mute button on all the f words as my parents were watching me watch it. So there you go. I I self-censored the movie for myself. Yeah. Real quick on uh, the natural, um, the the natural the natural oh is the natural is based on on a novel, and um, people will often ask this little question of like, oh, what's what's a what's a movie that's better than the book it's based on? And usually, it's a good movie when you answer that question. Like, The Godfather is better than right. the the novel. The movie of the natural is better than the novel, but they both suck terribly. So um, the movie fixes a few problems with with the novel. The novel. It, I, if you ever, I, I don't really hate read stuff. Like I hate watch stuff, but the, it is a great hate read if you want to read something that's just just drivel, just just pure drivel. Um, the Natural is just a terrible book, but uh, the, the movie is better. But they're both are awful, awful products. So just there you go. So to yeah. take his second part of the thing here, do you guys have traditions? Because yeah. I do, and it's I I talk about it on Twitter every year, and it's super nerdy and really weird. Uh, but I rewatched the entire Ken Burns baseball doc. You do Ooh. that every year? Every year. Well, I'm. Oh my. That's, yeah, that I is watch nerdy, but I love it. I yeah. watch a lot of Ken Burns documentary stuff. Just generally, I've been rewatching. That is jazz. a lot of Ken Burns watching. Holy cow! Well, it's a good it's like, thing yeah. at this point. I can just have it on in the background and yeah. just you know have, listen to it and look up when there's fun things happening and mostly just be on Twitter during that time. So that that's how that it's generally a two screen thing. I'm not just sitting and watching it. Yeah, I couldn't do that, but I, I do really like that as a tradition. And I think I tend to rewatch that. I think around the holidays, it's like when MLB network just kind of puts that on for like a week straight. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's usually when I catch that again, but that's a good one. I, I recommend also watch it on the PBS app as opposed to DVRing it on MLB Network because then you're not sitting there and fast forwarding every like sure. five minutes because MLB Network, I swear, they have more commercial breaks in that than anything. It's got really frustrating. So just to be able to put it on and watch it was superior. Yeah, there you go. I guess, Paul, what are your opening day traditions? Do you have any? I Not really. I usually go. Um, I get, You probably do too, but... Um, I don't really have anything I do special before that to prepare other than just getting ready to actually physically go to opening day. Um, I do have a bucket list thing for count or for Miller Park, whatever, Amfam Field. But I have a quarter <laughs> jar. God damn it. I think I owe two for that one. Uh, so what, I, I have this obsession that I've been wanting to try for a while, and I haven't been in Milwaukee long enough to do it. 
But from Google Maps, I know this to be true. It is possible to boat from Lake Michigan to Amfam to the field. What? It is possible. Oh, wow. You can do it. There's a contiguous waterway from Lake Michigan all the way to that river that runs <laughs> by the stadium. So at some point, I want to kayak it. And uh, I haven't done it yet, but I, it, I know you can, so I'm going to do it sometime. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to to go up that river. Uh, what is that? The Menominee River? You, yeah. Uh, they currently have a bridge that is so low that you can't take any like motor boats underneath of it you, you have need to portage canoe. a little bit yeah or no you, you have to canoe. you can canoe underneath of it uh my wife and i did that last year for our okay. anniversary when we were looking for things to do that you could do in COVID times <laughs> so we we rented a canoe and took it up the river and went and ate See? lunch outside at uh twisted fisherman there you go bucket that, that's a really good idea yep. how, how, do you just like park the kayak at the stadium then paul or how, how are you going to handle that I'm going to start a trend. I'm going to do it enough times that I force the brewers to put boat parking. That's my. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, isn't that a thing at Tennessee? The flotillas to the uh, game. Yep. Yeah. That people. Yeah. Yeah. They flotilla down the Tennessee River to uh, in Knoxville to the, to could, the games. Do you a could flotilla probably chain to Miller Park. A, yeah. You could probably chain it to a tree or something like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what if somebody like walks off with your, your canoe, though? How are you getting home? You're going to have to like taxi it back. It's a, it's a risk. Yeah. Also, not sure if you want to like canoe or kayak back after having a few at the Brewers game. Pioneers have to take <laughs> risks here, so it's that's all right. that's true. All 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 great men take risks. So you're a true visionary, Paul. For this, I, I hope it works out. And uh, if you do this, I think we need to document it in some way. So <laughs> just just for the sake of history, you know, all I right. did make my last thing I did for Prospectus Local when it still existed was make a choose your own adventure game of going to opening day. And oh, one of your three options is boating from downtown. So um. <laughs> there. You, so clearly you've been thinking about this for a long time. Oh yeah, I got it all planned out. Well developed, Gary. <laughs> all right. So just a couple of weeks away from opening day. So uh, hopefully some of you can can boat down, and we'll see how that works <laughs> out for you. In the meantime, that's all we have for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to our podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us. Uh, in the meantime, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Stay well, and we'll see you next time on the Walking Tailgate. Okay.